0: Hello everyone, and welcome to McGill Cares webcast series supporting family and informal caregivers. I'm Claire Webster, a former caregiver, certified dementia care consultant, and founder of McGill University's dementia education program. I work with a dynamic team of leading healthcare professionals to oversee the program, who include Dr. José Moret from the Division of Geriatric Medicine, and Dr. Serge Gauthier, professor emeritus Formally of the McGill University Research Centre for Studies in Aging. These webcasts are made possible thanks to the generosity of our donors, and I would like to thank the Zeller Family Foundation for sponsoring today's webcast. The topic of today's McGill Cares is having conversations about advanced care planning, which are some very difficult conversations to have. My guest is Tamara Sussman. Dr. Sussman is Associate Professor at the McGill School of Social Work, she has worked with adults and families to manage health-related issues in both hospital and community settings for more than 10 years. Dr. Sussman's research focuses on how health services and systems impact older adults and their family members. Dr. Sussman has been a previous guest at McGill Cares, and we were discussing navigating stress and loss in one of the first episodes of, of McGill Cares in, uh, I think it was in July of 2020, And today she's here with me to discuss advanced care planning, which is a way to help manage some of the stress of
1: caring for a person with dementia. Welcome, Dr. Sussman. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Claire.
0: So I think it's really important um, to have these conversations and, and, and really have a webcast to discuss what it's all about. And so let's start by making sure that we all understand what is meant by advanced care planning, what is it and when should we do it?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because actually advanced care planning is used and applied in different ways. Um, so for me, advanced care planning is really about thinking about, talking about, and if if you're interested, maybe documenting and writing down wishes, concerns, thoughts, plans for future care, that can include but doesn't have to be limited to end of life care. So for persons with dementia, this can be about what should happen if I start to need more care, I become a bit more into, I become a bit more dependent. It's not just about the very end of life, but that is a component of it as well.
0: And when should we start thinking about this? I mean, and this doesn't only apply to dementia. I mean, you know, we don't know what could happen in life, right? I mean, what right. COVID has That's shown right. us,
1: right? That's right. I mean, COVID has shown us, you know, unfortunately, things happen, people get in accidents, sudden, sudden, sudden things occur. Advanced care planning is for everybody, every adult. This is a conversation we should be comfortable having. Um As, as, As much as we plan for other things, you know, we talk, we do financial planning all the time. We should really be talking about what would happen if, you know, tomorrow I got in a terrible accident and you were faced with making this kind of a decision. Um, But for people with dementia, of course, there is the added known that if you are living with the condition for a long period of time, there may be a point in time where you're not really able to communicate in the way that you could have consistently earlier in your life. So to be able to start telling people what's important to me, what are some of the things I want you to be thinking about when you're able to communicate those things is really, really critical. It it places people at dementia at the center of their future care by offering those opportunities in advance. And it's incredibly helpful to families as well.
0: So when do you have that conversation? I mean, for example, you know, when sometimes when people are receiving a diagnosis, the disease has already taken, like has already really gripped the person. And, you know, they they're not necessarily able to make those decisions, right? So like, at what point? Like, are we are they still okay to have these type of conversations? Are you still okay to have these conversations as a family?
1: Yeah, well, I feel really um, committed to not rep- not saying you know you have to have complete capacity to be able to say what it is that you want um we should be talking to people with dementia of course throughout the throughout their journey and and to the extent that we can if if verbal communication uh is compromised of course just paying attention to when people are happy or when people are sad that's important no matter what but i think that first of all um Practitioners are really worried about having conversations in advance with people with dementia because they feel that the condition is so stigmatized. So to also then ask people what, you know, what might you want if things take a turn for the worse uh, feels very stigmatizing and feels very worrisome because thinking about the future is distressing. But at the same time, what people with dementia have certainly expressed to me, and I've done quite a few studies with uh, encouraging these kinds of conversations, is that they feel relieved being able to talk about these things because they're worried about them anyway. And uh, sometimes, even if they're not feeling the need to talk, a common response might be, oh, I don't need to talk about that. My family knows what I want that they appreciate hearing that their family member would really like to have this conversation because it would help them. So it kind of places the person with dementia in a position of caring, not just in a, you know, I'm going to be caring to my family member by having this complicated conversation. So I feel like, and what are we talking about? To me, we're not just talking about Would you want to be resuscitated at the end of your life? That's often how advanced care planning is sort of reduced. Or would you want a feeding tube at a certain point? We're talking more about what are your values around care? Are you the kind of person that wants your family member to do exactly what you want? Or do you feel like it would be okay for them to make a decision that they're comfortable making? Even having that conversation, it liberates your family member to know, hmm, my parent told me that at a certain point, it would be okay for us to do what we think is the right thing and not to worry as much about what they would have wanted. That's a really liberating thing to know in advance. Or how much do you want to be informed? People with de- We assume people with dementia don't want to know certain things or we kind of protect them from certain things. So why not just say, listen, um, as we go through this, trajectory together. Are you the, I want to know everything, no matter what kind of person, or are you that just kind of tell me what I need to know? Tell me what, tell me what I ask for and keep the rest either to yourself or talk to my family. People actually have a range of preferences around these things. So advanced care planning to me is about giving people the opportunity to talk about their philosophy of care and their values related to care, not necessarily making decisions in advance, which is very complicated to do.
0: So just listening to you, I mean, I think then that goes to, I, I think, you know, it's important that we have these conversations earlier in life, because, you know, I would say the majority of families that I work with who are caring for a loved one with dementia, unfortunately, The person who has dementia early on, in many cases, does not recognize that they have dementia. They don't recognize there's anything wrong with them, right? Like my mother was one of those people that, according to her, she was 100% fine. So it would have been impossible for me to have these type of conversations with her. Um, But then, of course, as the disease evolved, you know, we hadn't had any conversations about funeral, what her wishes were, you know, any of that. And then because we had it, all the onus and all the decisions that had to be made were on me. And I, I kept saying to myself, I wish I would have known what her values, what her wishes would have been 20 years ago, right? Yeah. But we don't have that, yeah. right? So so if, so, if more so then, it becomes important, I think, at a certain time for families to sit down and say, in the event that something happens, yeah. this is what
1: I need, what I want, right? Yeah. And, and you know, another strategy, I mean, there's two things that you said. One is how able is someone to articulate, and the other is they're in denial, so I can't really talk about the future. Mm-hmm. So the in denial piece um, can be addressed. I don't think people need to accept that they have a condition to be able to have advanced care planning conversation. Um, I've had family members try this strategy of saying, listen, I'm a bit worried about myself and my own wishes. I want to tell you some of the things that are important to me. And you know what? We've never really had a talk about what's important to you. So the caregiver starts by expressing, because advanced care planning, of course, is important for everybody. So the caregiver starts by expressing, you know, should something happen to me, mom, um, these are kind of the things that I don't want to have happen. You know, these are the kind of things that I do want to have happen. You know, what about you? What would what would it be like for you? What would would you want the same kind of thing I'm saying or something different? And sometimes, you know, that takes the onus of needing to accept a particular condition off the table because, really, as we said from the beginning, we should all be having these conversations. It's not about having a particular condition, but it becomes a bit more pressing when you do have a chronic and progressive position. And as you said, Claire, the alternative of not having this conversation, it is so burdensome for families. The bereavement is more complicated. The distress is more complicated. So the better we get at inviting and opening up these conversations in a normalized way, the more helpful that will be for family members.
0: Okay, so then let's lead into another question. Then, how maybe give us then some tips, some strategies for having these conversations. Because, for example, you know, I come from, you know, um, you know, two parents who had who two immigrant parents. My father was Egyptian. My mother's Finnish. There's certain conversations that we didn't have. Um, yeah. There's certain, for example, or or for example, I. The thought of you know sitting down years ago with my father and saying, "Okay, Dad, in the event that something happened to your mom, how much money do you have in the bank?" Um, you know, you know, there, you know, and I talk to a lot of people. I mean, how do you ask your parents? You know, are there are there because one of the biggest stresses for families is in the event something happens, do we have the finances? You know, what is your financial yeah. situation? Uh, where are where? What bank do you deal with? Do you have insurance? So, how do you have these conversations?
1: First of all, I think sometimes we get stressed out about thinking we have to have one big intense moment where we get everything all at once. You know, I have these casual interactions with my kids. We'll be in the car, we're listening to music, it's feeling really good, and I'll say to them, write this down, I want this on my death song list. You know, like, now I'm obviously comfortable having these conversations, but I say tongue in cheek you can have these moments of exchanges. They don't have to be, okay, let's sit down and have a really serious conversation about everything I need to know for end of life. But I also think it's important to recognize that you can ask something and not get a reception and that doesn't mean you should never ask again. It just means the person wasn't ready at this moment sometimes you just need to say, you know, mom, I know we tried to have the conversation once and and you really didn't want to talk about it. Um, you know, but it's really worrying me. I'm really worried um, about figuring out how it how I would plan for what it is that you want and how much resources we have. I know it's not a comfortable conversation, but do you think we could, you know, start by Just figuring out, like, would we be able to afford a year of home care if this is what it costs? You know, is that even within the realm of possibility? So I think that people are afraid that if they ask a question, the person in front of them is just going to break down and be harmed forever. People are very good at telling you that they don't want to talk about something. They change Mm -hmm. the subject. They say, oh, no, no, don't worry about that you know, and so you can, we're not there yet. Yeah, we're not there there yet. yet. You know, so, so, you know, turning the conversation to yourself as a strategy, well, you know, I'd like to tell you what I would want, you know, as an entry point and sort of acting as a model um, or saying, I know that maybe it's not a worry for you, but you would really be helping me with my worry if we had this conversation, um, is another strategy. And, you know, taking notice of when somebody's a bit more comfortable, or when do you guys tend to connect, you know, in the car is a good strategy, right? Everybody's not looking at each other, you're sort of stuck together. We know this from our teenagers, Um, you know, uh, asking a question, then, I think it's really about understanding this is a progressive, ongoing thing. The time to start is now, and you can continue asking questions until you start to get to a place where there's a bit more comfort.
0: Okay, so now another important question is, what's the difference between advanced care planning and advanced directives? Yeah. And then if you can take us through the process? So, you know, what, how is a notary involved, how are a lawyer, like, because a lot of people find this whole topic very overwhelming, and how do we go about it?
1: Yeah, so, so that's a really important question. They are very different. An advanced directive is making a decision in advance when you have the capacity on certain things you do and don't want to have happen. And we actually, for advance medical directives. There is actually um, a, a Quebec ministry site where you can electronically submit your wishes and directives for what you would and wouldn't want, like feeding tubes, like resuscitation. This is something that can be downloaded brought to a notary to notarize. It's in an electronic system. So anybody in the health and social service system can access it because we have electronic records now. Most people, I think we're at 30% people, um, don't do that. And part of the reason is because it's difficult to make that kind of decision in advance. How do you know? How do you know if you'd want a feeding tube or not? Until you're there and you can sort of feel out what the, you know, what quality of life is. So that's why I I find it really important to separate advanced care planning, which is just expressing values and wishes. Like it's really important for me to always be able to be surrounded by my family. No matter what happens, my family is really important to me. So when you're making decisions, you know that that value is an important thing to consider. But to say, I'm going to want this treatment and that treatment, that's a hard thing to know in advance. So that's why I find directives and, um, and advanced care planning really important to untangle. When it comes to the financial aspect of things, you know, we do have mandates that everybody can complete in Quebec. And a a mandate is something where when you have capacity, you can record who you would want to speak for you should you be in a position where you don't have capacity. And that person can speak for you for health reasons. And that person can speak for you for financial reasons. And it's really important to have a conversation with a notary around these things because they often, even though you can complete these things on your own, they often can anticipate little things that you should have thought about and documented that you didn't. So you can put in a mandate, not only that you want somebody to speak for you, but some of the plans that you wanna have happen on the medical end and also on the financial end
0: that becomes really, those are the benefits of advanced care planning for a person living with dementia, for their care partners to try to have everything as much in order as possible, because if the care partner has to go and have this mandate homologated, the process has already started, right?
1: That's right. And, And I guess the other important piece to me about advanced care planning is often people know who they want to speak for them, but they haven't told that person anything. And so we're back to, while it's a critical decision to decide who you want to have speak for you, which is what the mandate does, make sure that you arm that person with the information they need to actually be able to speak for you. Um, and that's what the, why the advanced care planning component comes in as critically, critically important.
0: And, okay, so let's discuss also just maybe coping with some of the emotions that you know care partners, family members go through. You know, I work with some families where you know the, the, the for instance, the spouse or the mother, father has made a family member swear on their life that they would never place them in a home. Yeah, uh, they, yeah. you know, and if they do, uh, you're going to be disinherited. Or yeah. you know, um, how, so how do people? Because because sometimes there's no choice, right? And and yeah. like and, and what COVID has shown us in life, you need to have a plan A and you have to have a plan B. I think everybody would like to live at home and stay at home for as long as possible. But what happens to the if the primary caregiver gets sick, passes away? So how like what advice would you have to yeah. families to deal with? So I,
1: I love that question, Claire, because that is the number one. Uh, concern for family members of people with dementia. So that is the perfect example of the difference between a directive. My plan is I don't want you to relocate me versus an advanced care plan. Tell me, mom, what makes it so important for you to be at home? What is it that makes it impossible to think about relocation? Because what that gets at is you know, values like independence, like privacy, like things that are important to people that if required can be replicated to a point in a different care environment so that the caregiver can say, okay, I couldn't fulfill the don't relocate me part. But I knew that the reason for that for my family member was because privacy was so important. So I'm going to make sure there's a private room and I'm going to make sure, you know, that, that, that information flow is kind of kept to the family. And there are other ways you can advocate when you know what the principles behind the decision are. And that, to me, is the biggest value of an advanced care planning conversation.
0: You know, and, you know, now that I have you on here, because you're such an expert also on stress and uh, with, with caregivers, I mean, you know, we're almost two years now into the pandemic and so much pressure on placed on families, you know, trying to access support or not in the healthcare system, these decisions to transition or not. What are you seeing in your practice? Like, what, what, what are you seeing that, like, how has COVID impacted family members and people living with dementia?
1: I mean you know, it's such, it's invisible exhaustion. People have been so abandoned. Um, You know, day programs are still not open. Uh, Home care is certainly available at a very minimal, um, at a very minimal way. And some caregivers are still scared to access it. And long-term care feels completely unthinkable because of all of the different Challenges that we've seen happening in long term care. So the stress is beyond. Um, I think that what's been fantastic is that, you know, online supports are there and family members, should they know about them, are, are, are able to get a little bit of at least support in that regard. But I think this is the invisible victim. Um, Tamara, what could you
0: recommend in terms of, uh, resources to assist people with these types of conversations and like what, 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 what resources are available for people?
1: So there are quite a number of workbooks and, and even card games, if you want to go light about it that exist, I've, I've sort of provided a link of a few different ones that I really like. One of them, uh, the Conversation Starter Kit, is available in French and English and has actually a companion booklet for family members of persons with dementia. That's why I really like that one. And in Mm -hmm. fact, I've tested that out with family members and persons with dementia. And when, when used together, it actually does get used and elicit some really good information. So the Conversation Starter Kit The Speak Up um, workbook is a part of a national campaign. If you Google Speak Up, you'll get a whole bunch of resources there on advanced care planning, some of them designed for uh, healthcare workers, other designed for family members. And that one has... It has a generic speak up and it has one for different provinces that kind of comply to the different provincial legislation. And the other one I put up there for people, because I like it, it's a little light. It's called Go Wish. It's actually a card game that you can either purchase or, or use online. And what that does is it just says things like it's really important for me to have an advocate. And then the person ranks like this is very important. This is not important. This is somewhat important. And for the things that people rank as very important, you can say, "Okay, well, what makes that important?" So it's kind of a conversation launcher and gives people just a bit of a, a lighter way to have a more wholesome conversation.
0: The time together always goes so fast. I, like, thank you so much for being our guest today. And you know, you're you're just like a wealth of knowledge in so many areas. And I, I really encourage people who who are watching McGill cares today to go back and see my other interview with Dr. Tamara Sessman on navigating stress. Cause really thank you so much for taking the time today.
1: Thanks for having me, Claire.
0: So this webcast is an initiative of the McGill Dementia Education Program, which is funded by private donations. Once again, I would like to thank the Zeller Family Foundation for sponsoring today's webcast. If you would like to make a contribution to our program or for more information, please visit us at mcgill.ca slash dementia. And if you would like to join our mailing list in order to be notified of upcoming episodes of McGill Cares, as well as well as all of our other important initiatives, please email us at dementia at mcgill.ca. Thanks for watching.